starting to hear the little pitter-patter of raindrops, so enjoy that ambiance. Tracy, I was just humbled. I was just humbled. It's uh, it's Monday for anyone who's listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was just metaphorically and literally brought to my knees in the most Monday of ways. <laughs> so I got to watch this happen. So it was um, truly an experience. So just so everyone knows, we're recording. Uh, and uh, I always keep water in sealed containers around my tech because I'm clumsy. I knock over my water. Said sealed container, which is now in the trash, absolutely failed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had water going everywhere. I uh, It was great. And <laughs> so I had to move my whole setup, right? Which, mm-hmm. you know, when do you ever do that? I think I'm a clean person. I tidy. I love oh, a no, good. No, there's no clean underneath a thing that hasn't moved in oh a while. Oh my God. Yeah. This was the Dust Bunny's secret hideout. Yeah. Every Dust Bunny that ever existed suddenly appears. What the heck? <laughs> I was humbled by this Monday in that it was beautifully, perfectly bright and sunny. And then we take a break for you to clean your unfortunate (laughs) water situation. And it decides to start thunderstorming out of nowhere. So we're we're having... All right. So listeners, you might have a little (laughs) ambiance. It might have some ambiance. But we're here, you know? It's it's a Monday. It's got that energy. But we're here together. And that's what matters. We, we, We... that's it. That's all I got. We're here together, and that's what matters. <laughs> For everyone else, it's a Tuesday. So, <laughs> everyone, hi. How is it on your Tuesday? How's it going? Tell me about that that sunny, beautiful day where you're succeeding. You're not tired. You're well caffeinated. You're flying into the rest of your week. Ooh, I want to manifest that energy for myself as well. No, Tracy, there is never a time that you are not tired and well caffeinated. Yeah. You know me too well. I am always <laughs> tired and I'm always somehow both tired and over-caffeinated. Maybe you should switch to matcha. Boom! My campaign begins. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. <laughs> Hi, I'm Tracy Harrison and I will not be switching to matcha, but thank you for asking. <laughs> and this is Willing and Fable, the podcast that brings you original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. And if you, dear listener, would like to support us, you can subscribe, leave us a review, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash willingandfable. Or bring us some matcha. Nope. Or check out the merch (laughs) on our willingandfable.com site. Or you can support us by, I can't believe this is what I wrote. You can support us by making a cup of your favorite hot or cold beverage of choice (gasps) and drinking it while sitting under the stars, contemplating the beauty of existence. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) We're predictable even to ourselves. Apparently. (laughs) Those get better and better every week, I swear. Oh, they're so much fun. (laughs) I don't care if anyone anyone else likes them. They're for me and for you only. (laughs) Well, you know what is also for us? We are... Collecting listener legends. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to remind everyone, uh, if you heard our celebratory episode 50, where we read a bunch of stories that our lovely listeners sent in, we're still looking for your stories. So 
email us. We want to share them on the show. They can be a spooky story from your hometown, a cool thing that happened to you once, a ghost story, a murder story, a weird coincidence, a cryptid sighting, that one big fish tale your dad's dad's mom always tells. Anything you want. We want to hear it. You can email us at willingandfable at gmail.com or you can fill it in in the beautiful contact form Tracy made us on our website at willingandfable.com slash contact. Thank you very much to Squarespace for making that very easy. I was too lazy <laughs> to actually code. <laughs> but she can, ladies and gentlemen. But I can. I can. I just chose not to. And I want to make that clear. <laughs> Every time we talk about the website, I think of that one tech ed class in middle school oh my where you did all my coding for me. I hated that class, though. I can't... I. I, I don't – I listen, I'll, for anyone out there who knows software development or programming, I'm a Java girl, okay? I like mid-tier development. I like that services logic. I want to build an API. I'm not here to design a website. I'm not for that. I'm not here for that. I don't do it. I don't do CSS. I don't do JavaScript. So um, I didn't like our high school computer science class because it was all like, here's how you use HTML, and I had no interest in actually designing our website, so I used a template. And the template was great. <laughs> you did a great job, though. Oh, thanks, Mom. Speaking of Tracy doing great jobs... Okay. Yeah. Let's watch this transition happen. Okay, this is another chapter of The Wizard and the Rogue. This week, it's written by Tracy, and it is also our final sponsored episode from Greenleaf Geek. And the reason we decided to open and close this round with chapters of The Wizard and the Rogue is because Leah messaged us and offered to make custom handmade resin dice for Thea and for Rosalind so that we could actually play our characters with with original dice. I I still truly can't process it. It is so cool, and they are so beautifully customized to our characters. Leah could see what would work for Rosalind and Thea and helped us bring it to life. When do you ever get to work directly with the artist and make dice perfectly customized to your character? I have to say that was a huge part of that absolute pleasure of owning these getting to have a call with leah where she just gets into the thick of it she collaborates with you and just uses her her skill all the time she spent honing her craft and just mm -hmm. she has such an eye for color it was such a pleasure and getting to hold them in my hand after that process it it felt like christmas morning honestly oh 100%. 100%. I mean, Christmas morning is rarely that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't recommend Greenleaf Geek enough for custom handmade resin dice. And Leah also partnered with us to add a couple Wizard in the Rogue dice to her curated collection. So there's the Wizard set, there's the Rogue set, there's Noble Magic, and there's the Blood Oath set. So absolutely... Take your little dice goblin self, go shopping mm -hmm. on greenleafgeek.com or visit at greenleafgeek on Instagram and Twitter. And when you do, because we know that you will, please use <laughs> our coupon code willingandfable, that's F-A-B-L-E, for 10% off your order. Some restrictions apply. 
All right, Rowan, before we jump into the chapter this week, I think we should do a little recap on the story so far. Oh, you okay you did that. Um, <laughs> is it me? Is it, uh, Should I do that? Do you want us to tag team it? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll start. Okay. This is interesting because you're recapping chapter one, which is what I wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Tracy, you start. Okay, okay, okay. Chapter one found our two heroines uh, in the same tavern. It was a tavern that Thea went into to meet with the infamous Arnold Mueller gang leader. And he was a really crappy dude, really sketchy. While she's there, Rosalind comes sneaking in and assassinates the man. There's a bunch of tussle in between, a lot of dialogues, you know, setting the story. But as Rosalind is going to escape, she gets caught, as does Thea, and the guard captain takes them into a jail cell. So then chapter two, we open up with Rosalind and Thea trapped in this cave-like prison that's built into a massive hill. And they're trapped in a cell for hours and hours with this mystery NPC man who's just hanging out. <laughs> Thea is getting on Rosalind's nerves. Rosalind is in a special kind of cuff that encases her whole hand so she can't use any of her fancy lock-picking tricks. Uh, the captain, the guard, comes by and antagonizes them. Mm -hmm. And we find out that Thea, after that, is can just open those cuffs for Rosalind. She was mm -hmm. just being a little schmuck, just waiting. Mm-hmm. So they're running around trying to escape. Rosalind's doing very well. This is her thing. Thea is doing not so well. This is not her thing. <laughs> Rosalind ends up at this massive door. She can't get it open, so she has to double back. She's going to get the wizards, who's always throwing fireballs. By the time she gets to Thea, Thea is stabbed through. Yup. <laughs> Bleeding out. We get to my favorite part. Rosalind goes, okay... Thea, who's dying, I will save your life if you get us out of this door. Rosalind means she'll save Thea's life today, but she doesn't specify. And they swear a blood oath and they escape out of the prison. And uh-oh, the blood oath is still binding. Rosalind wasn't specific enough. She said she'd save Thea's life. And for some reason, Thea's life is still in danger. So then they decide to make their way over to Thea's apartment to kind of regroup, figure out what they're going to do. Rosalind is determined to figure out who Thea is and why someone wants her dead. But as they get into the apartment, there's another assassin waiting for Thea there. Rosalind has some quips with him. She recognizes who he is. He's from the House of Morna, and his name is Micah, and he's their most brutal assassin. The two of them tussle, and we find out that Rosalind is from the Villis Vare House of Assassins. They send Micah scampering on his way, tail tucked firmly between his legs. And then, after some quips back and forth with Rosalind and Thea... All the quips. All the quips. Rosalind sits down on the floor and passes out. In the next chapter, <laughs> Rosalind wakes up. Thea's been puttering around. Rosalind's been kind of listening to her. She gets up and she says, no, 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 I still need to know who you are. You thought you could let this go. And she kind of goads Thea 
she uses the books that are scattered around Thea's apartment because she is just a messy wizard. And she finds out while she's antagonizing our wizard that she was a student of the Lacera School for Noble Magic. And for some reason, mentioning this detail and pointing out that her family is rich enough to get her in there really sets Thea off. And so Thea decides to pull a Rosalind and she's going <laughs> to stab our main rogue. They have a huge fight. Thea's throwing fireballs. She's coming at Rosalind left and right, and Rosalind's doing nothing about it. <laughs> our girl Thea smashes a bottle. <laughs> stabs Rosalind in the chest with the broken glass and and Rosalind basically embraces her and just accepts it and in that moment we find out that when you have sealed a blood oath with someone if you do them harm that harm comes back on you so now they're both bleeding out of wounds in their chest <laughs> Thea has decided they need to go to the library to figure out how to break this blood oath <laughs> and of course quips are exchanged and Thea serves Rosalind decaf tea instead of coffee. And really, that's the crux of the entire conflict. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we are now. And um, can we summarize this story? Basically, tussles and quips, quips and tussles. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Tussles and quips, quips and tussles, magic and blood oaths. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Tracy, this is all you. I am... <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of highlighted talking for me, so uh, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter 5 Eamon Blackthorne, Justice to the Saint of Sight, High Lord of Rycliffe, one of only seven seats of the saints, father of the current sable of solidarity and head judiciary for all those within this country, knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that his own servants were trying to sabotage him. Oh, they may make a show of doing work and fretting about to and fro, but they were all of them lazy and incompetent down to the very last. He knew the moment he walked into the formal dining room that not one of them took their job seriously, and he would not be made a fool of because of their incompetence. It was painfully obvious to anyone with sense that they hadn't completed their work. He straightened his waistcoat, took a slow, steadying breath to quell the anger building inside of him, and turned to find his head housekeeper. He was going to solve this problem once and for all. In only a matter of minutes, he had all of the servants of the household lined up before him in the dining room. "'I hope you all know why you're here,' he began. "'Just this afternoon I was inspecting this room to ensure that it was perfectly prepared for our guests this evening.' He slid his gloved hand along the back edge of the mantel over the fireplace and around the curves of a small statue as he spoke. And what is it that I should find sneaking about my home, despite the enormous sum I pay my staff to prevent it? He held up two fingers in front of the nearest maid, a frail-looking young woman with mousy brown hair. Her eyes were downcast and focused on her shoes, or the floor, or 
anything that wasn't him. Look at me, he commanded coolly. Her brown eyes flicked up to him. When I ask a question, I expect an answer. He shoved his fingers further into her face. What is this? Dust, my lord. She stammered out. He wiped the dust off on her apron. Exactly. And what did I expressly demand be removed from my home? Uh, dust, my lord. She replied with tears welling in her eyes. Saints above, Eamon thought, must all women be so dramatic? He turned to face the row of servants lined up before him. Tell me. Who was responsible for dusting this room? A small sob came from beside him as the young maid began openly crying now. Oh, it was me, my lord. I'm so sorry. I, I was working until just before dawn trying to make the place look perfect for you and I, I must have missed a spot. Please forgive me. I, I promise I'll never do it again. Eamon held up his hand to cut off her blubbering. I brought you all into my home. Gave you a place to live, work to keep you occupied, even a wage to live by, and in return all I ask for is competency. He looked down at the maid. Is that too much to ask for? She sniffed. No, my lord. Am I an unreasonable man? No, my lord. He could see the other servants in the room shifting nervously as he spoke. Good, he thought. Let them see what happens to those who don't do their job. He would make a clear example of this pathetic, whimpering girl. So, if I'm a reasonable man who does not ask too much of his servants, please tell me why I'm treated so cruelly by my own staff. Why a simple request for a clean home goes unheeded by the very people I pay to clean it. I, I'm so sorry, my lord. It was a mistake. I I'm not interested in staff who make mistakes, he declared. You are fired from your post. Effective immediately. Despite the girl's wail of despair, he turned to the head housekeeper and continued. Mrs. Sims, be sure to remove this young woman from the property immediately and make sure not to pay her any wages for today, as she has clearly not earned them. He turned back to the girl. You will leave this house immediately and never return. We will not provide you with any reference or proof of employment here. The girl began weeping now. Please, I need this job. My mum is sick, and it's the only way we can pay for our food Enough, Eamon replied. I did not give you permission to speak and I'm not interested in your excuses or your pathetic life story. Get out of my sight and do it quickly before I decide to punish you further. Please, sir, without a reference, I won't be able to get another job and my mum will starve and I... Ah! Eamon struck the girl across the cheek. Just once, to stop that incessant blubbering. Out. Now. Was his only reply. With tears streaming down her face, the girl ran out of the room, and Eamon felt a swell of satisfaction rise in his chest. He turned to face the rest of his staff. Know this. I might be a reasonable man, and a fair employer, 
but I will not be taken advantage of by anyone, especially not my own servants. You will do well to remember what happened here today. Now get back to work. Eamon strode out of the room, feeling a sense of accomplishment as he crossed the servants, nervously scurrying out of sight. As he entered the grand foyer, movement caught the corner of his eye, and he looked up to see a figure at the top of the staircase. Mariana Blackthorne floated down the stairs in a billowy curtain of cream-colored fabric that seemed to dance about her slim figure as she walked. Small glass beads gleamed in the candlelight and sparkled like a thousand stars as she moved. Eamon was furious. He walked up to her and kissed her on the cheek as he whispered, Why are you wearing that hideous gown? His wife was clearly taken aback. I... <laughs> you told me to wear it two days ago, remember? Well, well I thought you would be pleased. He rubbed his thumb gently across her cheek and stared into her wide, green eyes. Your memory is faulty, my dear. Perhaps we should call a healer. Why would I ask you to dress yourself up like this? Darling, you said I would look like the pure and delicate wife to a powerful seat of the saints. Eamon looked her up and down in a slow disapproving look. He let his eyes linger on her waist, her shoulders, the curl of her hair, all the places she always seemed to worry at most in the mirror each day. He sighed and tucked a bit of hair behind her ear. You always do try so hard, dear. He turned and started to walk away, waiting a moment before adding, I suppose it can't be helped now. He was pleased to see out of the corner of his eye that Mariana wilted right on cue. It was hardly a second before she turned away and headed back to her bedroom. She always came around to reason with a bit of coaxing. Everyone always came around to see his point of view, even if they thought they knew better at first. It was a gift and a curse. Eamon thought, to be the only one in any room to actually see reason, to be burdened with such intelligence and to labor so tirelessly to bring others onto his side. But such were the labors of the seat of sight. He could see the world clearly in a way that others simply could not, and it was his duty to make everyone see the world as he did. It was exhausting at times being the only competent person around, but he shouldered the burden with grace and dignity. As his wife hurried up the stairs to change into something more appropriate, Eamon turned and inspected himself in the mirror. Sleek, dark hair, still full and rich in color, swept back from his face, revealing his equally dark eyes. He wore a black waistcoat underneath a long black jacket embroidered with gold thread. Everything was pressed, seamed, and steamed to perfection. He was the very picture of poised, refined power, he decided. Well, at least someone in this household knew how to dress themselves. When Mariana came down the stairs a few minutes later in a simple, form-fitting gown of emerald silk with a necklace of pearls around her slender neck, Eamon let out a victorious sigh. Oh, 
darling, you didn't have to do that for me. If you thought you looked beautiful before, that's quite all right. Mariana shifted in the new garment, still sorting herself out and wearing an appealing, if harried, flush. Eamon could feel her coming towards him, eager for a word of praise. You know I love green. It matches your eyes. But you know, you can't eat too much at dinner in this gown or you'll ruin the effect. The seat of service will be here soon with his wife. Can I trust you to manage the greetings, then bring them into the drawing room for a preed and a drink? I will make my entrance then. Yes, dear, she replied as he turned to exit the room. This dinner could prove to be very lucrative for our family. I expect perfection tonight. Of course, dear. A thought struck Eamon and he felt himself flush with a hot rush of rage. He kept his voice calm through gritted teeth. And remember, if anyone asks after our willful, wretched daughter... She is away on the Outer Isles, studying noble magic in solitude as a form of deference to the saint of study. His wife replied dutifully. Good. And when I get my hands on that girl... Seeing his wife's face, Eamon caught himself. It's time for her to come home and behave like the lady she is and not the wild magician she pretends to be. Thea Blackthorne, formerly Thea Stone, let out a series of curses that even Rosalind found impressive. Rosalind had just smashed the girl's only teapot on the hardwood floor and immediately regretted it. Not because it upset Thea to see it broken. No, that was the whole point of the action. But because with the crash of ceramic, she felt her last shred of hope for coffee shatter across the apartment floor. This was going to be another long day in what was amounting to a series of very long days. You're a brute, Thea fumed. All this over decaf tea. Is there anything you don't try to solve with violence? Says the woman who just stabbed me with broken glass. That, that was... Thea waved her hand limply in the air. Different. Rosalind crossed her arms and quirked her brow. Mm. <laughs> Please do explain, in excruciating detail, just how that was different. I... that... Uh, I will not. I don't owe you any sort of explanation. Broken teapot or no, we need to go to the library. If there is any place that we can find information on how to break this oath, the library is it. I may not be a student anymore, but I still have connections. I am certain that I can get us access to the heretical text there. Hmm, because of Daddy Blackthorn. What? You can get us access to the forbidden texts, because your father is one of the most powerful men in the entire country. Yes. Thea took several seconds and more than a few deep breaths before replying. I'm only going to say this once. Nothing that I have is because of my father. 
That man hasn't given me a damn thing since the day that I left home, and I wouldn't even take it if he offered. I want nothing to do with my family, and I will never, ever use those connections to get ahead in this world. Rosalind was beginning to be able to read Thea well enough to know when not to poke at her further. She was clearly upset and not in the fun, look how annoyed this wizard is sort of way, but more in the she's two seconds away from stabbing you again despite the consequences sort of way. Besides, Rosalind knew a thing or two about family troubles. Not that she would ever admit so to Thea. So she nodded. Fine. How do you propose to get us access to these books? Thea let out a long breath as though she'd been waiting for another fight. I'm sure it won't surprise you at all to know that I was an excellent student. I still have some friends at the institution where I studied. They have the connections to research all sorts of things. Things like blood oaths. Rosalind tried to keep the hope out of her voice, and Thea smiled. Things like blood oaths. Well then. Rosalind moved past Thea and walked towards the door. What exactly are we waiting for? Not so fast, Thea replied while beginning to mix ingredients in a small vial. We'll need supplies, and I'd like to prepare a few spell ingredients just in case. Not to mention there are a few scrolls and books that I'd like to pack. Oh, and you're still... Bleeding, yes. Rosalind finished for her as she looked down at her own chest. Thea finished mixing the ingredients and took a sip from the vial and grimaced before looking down at her own wound. She let out a long sigh of relief. Oh, thank the saints. I wasn't sure if that would work. Medicinal magic is most certainly not my specialty. Here, drink the rest of this. It should close up your wound. Rosalind looked at the vial skeptically and made no move to take it. Really? After all we've been through, you still don't trust me? If that elixir was poison, it would have killed me just now. But it didn't. In fact, Thea lifted up her shirt to the sternum and revealed a puckered and angry-looking scar. See? The wound is closed. Rosalind couldn't argue the results, and she was really sick of bleeding through her clothes. So she grabbed the vial and drank the rest of it in one gulp. Pain instantly radiated through her core and she felt her insides sewing themselves back together. She let out a curse and pulled up her own shirt to see a matching pink scar on her chest. Well, now, that was perfectly wretched, and I'd like never to do it again. Rosalind sat down on the floor in the middle of the apartment. I'll just wait here, and heal while you pack your things. Thea set about grabbing vials and books and all manner of strange objects. You could help, you know. By this point, Rosalind had reclined back onto the floor with her arms crossed behind her head. With her eyes closed, she responded. I know. After a long pause, though, she asked, Do you think it could be your father sending the assassins? Thea didn't look up from her work. No. Rosalind sat up and looked at the wizard. No. Just like that, you're sure? No maybes, no perhaps. Just flat out no. 
My father would need to care about me a great deal more in order to send such expensive assassins after me. As it stands, he only cares about me insofar as I reflect back onto him. I am a trophy to be pulled out at fancy dinners and expensive parties, and nothing more. Besides, all he cares about is power, and if his own daughter were to be publicly killed, it would prove that with enough time and enough money, someone could get to him too. He would simply not stand for that sort of weakness. Hmm, then perhaps an enemy of your father's is trying to get to him through you. No. My father keeps tabs on all of his enemies and friends alike. If one of them, just one, were trying to kill me, he would know. Rosalind let out a frustrated sigh and laid herself back down on the ground. Well, fine then. If you're going to be so useless, so will I. Once again, Thea mumbled a curse in a language Rosalind didn't know. The assassin had a feeling that she would become fluent in many forms of curses before this blood oath was finally broken. Say, wizard, how many languages do you know? Six, came the reply. Rosalind sat up again. Six! Thea didn't even look up from her task. Well, four fluently, and two I'm... I'm conversational in, but I haven't had the chance to practice much lately. Why anyone would need to learn six languages, Rosalind didn't know. She hadn't even met six people who spoke different languages, and she'd met a lot of people. It began to dawn on her then just how highly educated this wizard was. She'd known Theo was trained in noble magic, but as the daughter of such a powerful man it was possible that Thea Blackthorne was the most highly educated person Rosalind had ever met. Which made it even more amusing that she had proven herself at time to also be the stupidest person Rosalind had ever met. As if reading her thoughts, Thea's hands slipped and two powders that should definitely never meet greeted each other warmly. Which is to say, a small explosion occurred in the corner of the room, and smoke rapidly spilled out from the wizard's hands. Yes, Rosalind thought. This is going to be a very, very long day indeed. Oh, it is so awesome to see Eamon Blackthorn finally mm. make his appearance. We've talked about him, but it was... I gotta give credit where credit is due. One, you gave me the idea to write the first, I don't know, three quarters of this chapter from his point of view. And then you also gave me amazing tips on how to make him the slimiest, <laughs> like, smarmiest, most toxic person imaginable. Yeah, Tracy and I have definitely gotten to a point where we have to consult on these chapters a fair amount. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't get to see the shiny finished product, but <laughs> he's so icky. He's so yeah. icky, Trace. You did <laughs> such a good job. Oh my god, it was... <sighs> it's interesting writing that sort of thing because my first pass at it was not nearly icky enough 
Like, I didn't realize how much I was holding back just based on that instinct to not want to write something that smarmy. Like, I thought I was like, oh, I'm making him terrible. And then we chatted and you gave me some really good tips. And it's like, oh, he could be so much worse and so much more nuanced in his manipulations. Yeah, you and I talked a lot about how aware of class he is, Mm -hmm. which is something that you created from the beginning. Tracy created the entire family tree for Thea. And I think because this was his first appearance, you and I just spent so much time working out the different ways that he might choose to interact with different people. Mm -hmm. And personally, I think someone who can seem nice or at least palatable on the surface, but is just cutting you down, is so much more brutal than someone who's yelling at you. So mm-hmm. his the treatment of Mariana, that scene that you put in with the dress, mm-hmm. is so much squirmier for me. Yeah. I, uh, I love Mariana. <laughs> and I know the exact cream dress you were imagining when you wrote this. I know it because it is on our Pinterest board. <laughs> You know me too well. It, it's such a pretty dress. So I, I I love that dress. And I just, I don't know, I wanted to have that moment because the idea of him kind of crushing the servants, you know, Rowan and I talked um, off, off, I was gonna say off camera. Rowan and I talked when we weren't recording. And you gave me really good advice from your acting class days from school about the idea of how people approach scenes. And the idea of him crushing the servants, of being proud of how much power he had in that moment to just destroy them, is so different than the way he manipulates Mariana and wants, in in a way, to see her shrink. He wants to make her smaller, but not through crushing, in through a totally different means of manipulation. Yeah, making her want his approval even more. Tracy! Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's Thea's dad. Daddy Blackthorn. Daddy Blackthorn. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy. Oh, God. Oh, God, Daddy. (laughs) Thanks for all the lore dropping. Yeah, we also talked about it. I always feel like I get so excited to try and drop all the lore. And you really balance me out with pulling back and letting some things be a little bit secretive. But we got to learn a little bit more in this chapter about seats of the saints being powerful. There's only seven seats for the seven saints. But then there are other levels of power that people can have. So we're going to explore that a little bit more. Mm. Okay, so while you were writing chapters, I prepped questions. Yay! (laughs) Is that okay? Can I do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, so, I mean, you can make me answer my own questions, but... Oh, I'm going to. (laughs) What has been your favorite point so far about writing the story? Oh, points on pod or off pod? Oh, I I mean, easily, it's two. So the first one, I guess chronologically, was sitting in your parents' studio coming up with the characters' names. And... (laughs) Just just the very basics, like deciding to do this and coming up with what it would look like. And then the other part was in writing this chapter, sitting down and 
I, I just so appreciate all the writing and, and acting and directing advice you give. You have such a clear vision for communicating human emotions that I'm learning so much from it and getting to learn from you. I mean, the scene today would not have been half as slimy had you not helped me think through it. And it was just pairing with you, I mean, in general, the podcast, but also through these stories because they're purely creative writing is making me so much of a better writer and storyteller. And that is easily my favorite part. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of credit. It truly, truly, I would (laughs) never get to a single plot point (laughs) if you didn't (laughs) A, decide we needed them and B, propel us there. Because that's my my fatal flaw. I can live in that all day. I want to plot out the feelings. And you were the person who, from the beginning, said, okay, we need a Bible, a, a, a Bible of what this world looks like. And that was really, really... Uh... And then I just go and get all loosey-goosey with it. <laughs> I looked back at Thea's backstory and like... I was like, oh, there are siblings that I'm just not including. They don't exist anymore. <laughs> like, we're just... I mean, wait. You gotta, you gotta work on the fly. Because at, at a certain point in writing this, especially because it is handing it back and forth, these characters reveal themselves to us. Oh, yeah. And in that revelation, Thea has a sibling who was mentioned very, very briefly in this episode. And that's it. And that was really fun for me to discover. Listen, I'm Team Mariana all day, every day. I love Mariana. Which I didn't even know I was until <laughs> right now. So wh- I want to hear your answer to the same question. My favorite moment is probably the time that you and I spend in the world of the story between writing. I think it it has become increasingly common for you and I to text one another or call one another with just little ideas popping up, just little imagined mm-hmm. bits of story. I just think that's so satisfying. A, it gives my daydreams an aim, but it also, it, again, probably very similar to you. It just teaches me new ways to think, hearing about the details that you latch on to. Because mm-hmm. we, I mean, we basically spend an absurd amount of time thinking about this. <laughs> oh, yeah. In a fun way, not even just a work way. Sometimes I called Tracy the other day with the silliest little headcanon scene. <laughs> I'm determined to get it in there. Y'all will know when it arrives, I promise. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It has to do with uh, sugary coffee. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll give them. <laughs> so what is the next thing you're excited to explore? I'm really excited from a writing perspective to explore Thea and Rosalind moving past the animosity stage of their connection. And, and you know, I don't think they'll ever get to the point where they're super f- nice to each other all the time. I think they'll always have that way of quipping, but I think it'll stop having a, a mean, hurtful intent and just be, you know, this is my, this is my Thea. I can make fun of her all I want, but if you make fun of her, I'm going to stab you. Yes. Out in California, I always joke if I meet someone from like the Pittsburgh area, when I'm in Pennsylvania, I'll tease them a little bit because, you know, we're from the Philly area. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I'm in California, no, that person's from Pennsylvania and we are team Pennsylvania. Like no one else is allowed to say anything. (laughs) So what about you? What are you excited to explore? I'm really excited to start introducing Rosalind's backstory and blend it with Thea's because we 
came to the table with two almost different worlds that these two women are living in. Mm -hmm. They're very dark in very different ways. And I am really looking forward to seeing what Thea does, actually, when she's just slammed in the face with this alternate way of living. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think that's going to be really fun to explore. She's also a, a sweet, soft baby, like physically. She's just mm-hmm. more physically vulnerable. And I <laughs> yes. I really look forward to putting her into more dangerous situations and watching Rosalind care increasingly more. Mm-hmm. There's the, like, you can't die element because I'm responsible for you. But there's also just this, like, okay, but you can't die because now I need you. Mm-hmm. It's just so many levels. <laughs> most challenging thing. What's the most challenging thing? Um, remembering what is now officially canon. Hands down. Ooh. Hands down. We have all these things we th- we thought of beforehand and coordinated, and then we get excited when writing or things make more sense in the context of the story as we're writing it. And so remembering what is canon based on what we've actually put out into the world and keeping that consistent. It sounds like we don't have extensive notes. I swear, guys, we have a whole- We have extensive notes. The problem is that there are a few times in the moment where those things change. Like Thea's backstory is no longer accurate because she doesn't have two siblings that I'd written in because they just didn't feel it just there was it, they didn't need to be there they weren't adding anything right and like you know there's just been a few things like we had a different a slightly different magic system and then we realized it was needlessly complex and it made more sense to have it be a little bit simpler so those notes aren't always accurate based on in the moment and in writing and in communicating what we decide to put into the story right yeah hmm I don't know what I think is the most complicated. I genuinely don't. I'll get squidged out about nearly anything (laughs) from one week to the next. Fair. (laughs) I just worry. I I don't want to get caught up in just the things that I like. Mm -hmm. That's my big fear. So I think that's always top of mind for me. But if if you write what you like, it's always, that always comes through. True. True. We write a lot. We just write so much for this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm always trying to think about things differently so that each story is unique, but I'm never not me, you know? Right. There's only so far you can get. <laughs> right. Favorite character to voice? I, it's got to be Thea. I, <laughs> I just enjoy her. She's the I stole her voice one hundred and fifty percent from Phaedra. my D and D character, Phaedra. <laughs> She's Phaedra's voice, just that haughty. Like it's it's Phaedra's voice. It's uh, Harrow's voice from the audiobook for mm. Gideon the Ninth and Harrow the Ninth. So just that like haughty, British, pompous kind of I know better than you. I'm smarter than you. Voice. What about you? Yeah. I- I mean, I guess it's Rosalind. She's the bane of my existence trying to voice her. There's so many outtakes, but also... <laughs> Same. She she chews her words differently than I do. She just really, like, enjoys speaking mm-hmm. in an interesting way, at least in my head. And there's a very specific reason for that. Uh, and so I, I always try to remember when she talks why she likes 
talking so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, no one could say we don't overthink (laughs) these characters. (laughs) Okay. This is is the tough one. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I don't know. This is my tough one. One moment. Tiny little what's your favorite moment? Oh, oh, that is a tough one. Um, We're only in chapter five. Think about that, how hard it will be eventually. I know. I mean, obviously, you've, I, I like a lot of, I mean, I, I feel like I can't pick a moment that I've written. One, just because it doesn't, it doesn't feel as exciting to me when it came from my own brain, you know? Come on. <laughs> but but I, I, uh, truly, I just get like, genuinely taken aback whenever you write these stories and the way that you (laughs) the way that you do them I I always get excited the blood oath moment the getting stabbed and the blood oath like I would say that and the sounds weird but the the stabbing of Thea through the chest and then giving her like eight concussions like all the times that you have really pushed the bounds and really hurt these characters I think I've really liked because I always feel a little restrained with my characters. Like, I never wanted to see anything bad happen to them. Mm. And so I always pull back a little bit, I think, unintentionally. So getting to read you putting these in the story and realizing that it's possible and you can push and we can break these characters and really make them suffer in order to go on this journey, it's been really exciting for me. And so I would say my favorite moments have been those, like, when they're at their lowest. I mean, at some point, all the listeners are going to say, stop stabbing them. But... (laughs) We're not there yet. Not yet. My favorite moment, and it's fundamentally the same as yours, I love the blood oath moment. And not necessarily because of how I wrote it, but because you and I worked so hard to get there. We had that planned Mm -hmm. early and it changed so many times. And I mean, I love language, clearly. Mm -hmm. And so I worked a lot of different ways to get that oath to actually conform to our magical rules. And I fired them at you and and we kind of realized that they didn't work. (laughs) And so even though I technically have that chapter and it is a surprise when Tracy hears it, the, the work that goes into making it is very collaborative. Mm -hmm. So the blood oath is just so satisfying because I because I think fantasy stories that I read a lot the people that are bound to each other and end up having to care about each other so often it's just like romantic right it's just boy meets girl like love story and I am so as a person interested in the platonic relationships that really enrich my own life mm-hmm so. I love just sticking these two girls together and be like, your partners, deal with it. Figure it out. Yeah, that's been really fun. The number of times that I realize, and I don't know if it's been just me or if you've done this too, that I've unintentionally written something that I'm like, oh, this could easily be a romantic <laughs> moment. Like, whoops. Like, even in this chapter, I've been like lifting her shirt to be like, look at my wound. Like, had either of them reacted differently? But I was like, that's where they got stabbed. I have to have her lift her shirt. I know. I know. It's it's a it's a pickle. We're only in chapter five. <laughs> yeah, we're only t- I mean, we don't even, you know, maybe who knows what's gonna happen with these characters. 
they're, they're revealing themselves to us. But I do love the idea of it's not that we're writing this as a romance. Like, I want to be really clear with everyone. We are not going into this saying it is a romance. This is way more interesting to find two women fighting in a world where most of the people they've been fighting against have been men. Actually, exclusively the people they've been fighting against have been men. Yeah, so far. So far, dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think I should say on the podcast, because you and I have never said it and we talk about it a bit, we started it this way. But then, interestingly, Tracy and I saw a TikTok where these two women who write together, uh, they write no- uh, they're writing a novel. They talked about how one of the ways that allows them to collaborate the best is they pick the characters they're most invested in. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of take the lead on those decisions for that character. It doesn't mean they get the final say. It doesn't mean they write every line. It's just there's a little bit of leading the way with that character. And you and I are doing that with Rosalind and Thea. And so I think that probably readers hear that and think like, oh, I I play Rosalind. Rosalind's choices are all mine. They are the same choices I as Rowan would make. And that is 100% not true. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And a lot of the choices that Rosalind makes, are Tracy has come up with and vice versa. Oh, yeah. I did not come up with Thea stabbing Rosalind last chapter. <laughs> but given what Rowan and I talked about, given Thea's backstory, given some stuff that we know, as soon as she pitched that to me, I was like, that's perfect. That's such a well thought out character moment. So, yeah, I think even though we joke and we may or may not be planning to play these characters for a D&D one shot just for fun... <laughs> It, I think it is important to say that we the choices that these lovely ladies make, even though there are sweet babies, I'm not trying to go into a fantasy world and polo Rosalind. Absolutely. These are our these are our characters that we're excited about. And yes, it stemmed from a an episode in season one where we wrote each other as D D characters. That was what made us excited to explore a broader adventure story. But you're right. These characters are not us. Thea is not a fantasy analogy for Tracy, (laughs) nor is Rosalind for Rowan. We gave them those names because we thought it would just be less confusing that we were suddenly writing a story with uh, two Mm -hmm. female characters who happen to also be a wizard and a rogue, just like the one shots in our episode in season one. And we definitely designed them to be easy to cosplay for both of us fully. Oh, 100%. Fully percent <laughs> <laughs> That is so that we can buy costumes later. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was fun. This is this is the first uh, Big Daddy. Mm-hmm. Big Daddy, Daddy Blackthorn. Oh, Big Daddy, Big Daddy Black, Big, Big, nope. <laughs> big, <laughs> big Daddy Blackthorn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tracy, Mm -hmm. tell me something good. My something good is something that some of our patrons and people who follow us on social media would have seen. But earlier this week, my friends in Pennsylvania and I had a Lord of the Rings themed dinner party. Truly crushed that I wasn't there. So just brokenhearted. That looked so fun. Tell everyone. It was amazing. We're starting what we're calling our gourmet club, which is where we pick a theme and we all cook a dish related to that theme. And the first inaugural one was Lord of the Rings. And it was so cute. Everyone showed up in some form 
or another of a costume. I just braided my hair and wore a skirt and a peasant shirt and had very Hobbit vibes. I had to. You were the sweetest little Hobbit. <laughs> I had to make it subtle enough that I could do some some shopping right beforehand, <laughs> so I couldn't go full like cloak and gown. I mean, I could have. I chose not to. So we we had that, and uh, the food was just amazing. We had this meat and vegetable pie and a mushroom stew and bread and cheese and two different kinds of lembas bread. And I made what Kaylee affectionately called my slow-roasted, smoky lemon poppy seed cake because I was trying to make Bilbo seed cake from the books. I went with lemon poppy seed. It felt like a good kind of analogous cake. I, listen, (laughs) I overfilled the pan, Mm -hmm. so then as it was cooking, it spilled over the edges and got all over my oven and started smoking, Mm. and then I tried to clean it up, and then it kept doing that, so then finally I gave up, turned the oven off, shut it, ordered some mini bunt cakes online at a bakery nearby, (laughs) came back two hours later and opened the oven to resign myself to clean up my mistakes and sitting in my oven was a perfectly cooked bunt cake the fairies replaced it they ha- they must have it was <laughs> so moist so wonderful so i made a drizzle put it on top and i brought both cakes and it was delightful it was such a lovely evening we did some lord of the rings trivia we played some games and we ate food together and it was wonderful that was the most fun group text you texting the adventure, <laughs> this cake. Oh, well, I can do a version of it, but to get that uh, same exact experience, never again. But it is now your turn, Rowan. Tell me something good. Mine is also costume-related, funny enough. Um, I was working a lot this week on getting pieces for my Labyrinth of Jareth costume, I'm so excited for you. It's next week, right? No, no, not next week. What is time? No, I think it's in two weeks from today. Uh, It's this big cosplay event. It's a masquerade party that's held in L.A. every year, except 2020, obviously. So we're all really excited to go. All the L.A. contingency will be there. And I am so excited for my costume. If it comes together, I have some crafting to do. I love a good craft. Hot glue can fix many things. Yeah, oh my, okay. Here's the thing. So I needed a new hot milk glue gun. Mm-hmm. I could have ordered, you know, a little $10 baby hot glue gun. You know, I could have could have gotten the basics. No, no, no. I splurged for the hot milk glue gun with six interchangeable tips of various sizes and shapes. I am, I am so excited for this hot milk glue gun to come. (laughs) I need everyone I know to bring me the things they need hot milk glued because, and I got the Gorilla Glue glue sticks. We are no rookie stuff here, baby. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited for you. We all need to see pictures of this costume when it comes together. If it comes together, you know? When? When? (laughs) I believe in you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look at us getting all costumey. Who's surprised? No one. No one. We're big, huge nerds here. And you all know it. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for joining (laughs) us for this very writery episode. This was was all very behind-the-scenes-y. 
It, it did. It did. I'm glad we were able to talk a little bit about kind of our thought process and how we do these story episodes. And I'm really glad that people seem to really like these story episodes. And thank you to Leah for being the reason we get to do them. It's been great working with her. And lastly, thank you all so much for joining us. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes and custom merch. Or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of original retellings and in-depth research on the history, mystery, and mythology that makes the world so fascinating. (laughs) 